little bit tonight, direct our attention to the book of Isaiah and what we might title this message tonight, Christmas in Isaiah. As I've been studying a lot in the Gospel of Matthew for our Sunday morning series on the wise men, and they're illustrating to us worship, been reminded of the fact, and I have it underlined in blue in my uh, scripture, my Bible, and my uh, the Gospel of Matthew, a dozen times Matthew will use a statement like this, and this was done that the scripture might be fulfilled, which the prophet Isaiah or the prophet Jeremiah or the prophets said a dozen times. And one of the reasons that was done is to show the Jews to whom Matthew was writing in the first century that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament prophecies in his first coming and to help establish him as their king. And so I want us to look at uh, the uh, book of Isaiah this evening and just several uh, passages that will be familiar for uh, most of us, but uh, to draw our attention to the importance of these prophecies that were fulfilled in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ at his first coming. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for our time together this evening. I ask God that you would bless us as we uh, seek to have our hearts prepared for Sunday and the Christmas holiday. And Lord, our hearts thrill to think about the opportunity that we will have to celebrate the reason for the season. Help us to be a light, and as we just heard saying, to go tell it on the mountain and to remember Isaiah 52, how beautiful are the feet of them uh, who spread the gospel, the good tidings upon the mountains, and Lord, that we would be faithful in doing that and that we would be able to give testimony of folks that we have witnessed to and folks coming to Christ uh, as a result of our interaction with them this season. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. This is one of the passages in uh, the New Testament, the book of Luke in particular, uh, that is uh, fulfilled in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And what a tremendous anticipation that must have been for believing Old Testament saints as they looked forward to the coming of their Messiah. Uh, I read an article, read of an article today, a a poll recently was done, and 84% of Christians in the United States believe that our country has forgotten the true meaning of Christmas. 84% of believers Uh, sense that our country has forgotten the true meaning of Christmas. And I think some of that is because people, one of the reasons it gets commercialized is because most Americans are so shallow in their perspective of things that the true meaning of Christians, and I hate to say it this way, is boring to them. Okay, It's, it's bland to them. And so they have to do something to sensationalize it. And I'm glad to know that when you get into the Word of God, all of the wonder and the marvel that we need about Christmas is in the Scripture and in the person of Christ. I read about a mother who uh, had just given birth to a newborn baby and was throwing a party to introduce all of her friends to the newborn baby, and she had dropped off her baby at her parents' house in the morning of the party and gone to her house and had gone to all the preparation 
The party came, all the ladies came to see the baby. They enjoyed all of the nice food and the drink and the celebration. And then one of the ladies at the party finally said, well, where's the baby? And the mother went to the bedroom, to the crib, and the baby wasn't there. And at first, after a moment of terror, then she realized she had actually forgotten to bring the baby (laughs) from her parents for the party. And, uh, you know, if we're not careful, that's what happens at Christmas time, isn't it? We get all excited about the party, the trappings, the celebration, and we forget the importance of the person of Christ. One of the things that fascinates me about the the story of Christmas, both as it relates to the prophecies as it uh, that are given about it in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament, is this: is that God delights in using little things. And what a challenge that is to us, and an encouragement it is to us. You think about from the very beginning of Scripture, Genesis chapter 3, when God is putting the curse on Satan, he said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed. The seed of woman. Jesus, the seed of woman. You ever thought about how big a seed is? It's just a little thing, and yet look at what God has grown out of the seed of woman, the Lord Jesus Christ. As I think about the book of Isaiah, I notice that as we talk about the Christmas story that really the Christmas story has what some would consider insignificant beginnings. Notice, if you would, Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. In prophesying of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, Isaiah the prophet, verse number 1, Isaiah 11, verse number 1, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The word rod that Isaiah uses uh, literally refers to a small shoot or sprig uh, that grows out of the stem of Jesse. The word stem comes from the idea of literally something that's been cut off. Can I give you a 21st century synonym for the word stem? The stem of Jesse is literally the stump of Jesse. In other words, it's the picture of something that from a human perspective had been cut off. There was no hope or prospect of anything growing out of it, and yet in the coming of Messiah, new life springs out of something that apparently had been cut off. And it's a testimony of the insignificant beginnings. You think about the uh, town of Bethlehem and Micah's prophecy that we mentioned on Sunday. You think about Nazareth in the north up in Galilee, and uh, you remember Nathaniel, when he was told by the other disciples that we found Jesus of Nazareth, uh, the Christ, do you remember what Nathaniel's response was? Jesus of Nazareth, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And so you have Bethlehem, this little insignificant town, just six miles south of Jerusalem. You have Nazareth, both of these cities associated with the birth of Christ. Nazareth, considered the backwoods, if I can say it this way, redneck part of uh, the, the nation of Israel, that northern province of Galilee. In the first century, to be called a Nazarene was a, a pejorative, a term of derision. And it was a fairly broadly used term because Nazareth was in the proximity of a Roman garrison. As a matter of fact, right at the end of last century, A bath was found under a man's shop in Nazareth that was a large bath that that proved 
that there was a Roman garrison. For years, people had not even believed that Nazareth was in existence when Jesus lived. And I just love how archaeology... Now, listen, archaeology isn't needed to prove the Bible true, but I love it when things like that corroborate for the Bible. And they dated that bath that was a large Roman bath that would have that helped to prove that, in fact, there was a large Roman population near Nazareth. But because of the proximity of Nazareth with that Roman garrison and the connection that those people had, people that came from Nazareth were considered defiled. They were considered despised by many other people in Israel because they could not help but have contact with that Roman garrison. And so that's why Nathaniel would say what he said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And yet that in and of itself was a fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah as well, that the Lord Jesus Christ would come from the old tribal areas of Zebulon and Issachar. Out of the area of Galilee, he would come. And Isaiah had prophesied that as well. But insignificant beginnings from, you think about the the kingly line. What had the tribe of Judah, the kingly line, come to when the next in line, both Joseph and Mary, both of them in the seed line of Messiah, were living in poverty 80 miles north of Bethlehem in a despised place like Nazareth? It would seem from the human perspective that the seed line, the kingly line, had been cut off like a tree cut off at the stump. And yet, in the coming of Christ, new life would spring out of a stump. How many of you have a poplar tree in your property? You ever notice that about a poplar tree? And this is more of a negative illustration. You cut that poplar tree off, and it's amazing. New sprigs will be coming up all the time. And that's what it was with with the seed line of Messiah. It had been cut off from a human perspective. 400 silent years as it related to the voice of prophecy, and yet out of insignificant beginnings. Look, if you would, at Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Many of us are familiar with this as it relates to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 53, notice verse number 1. Isaiah said, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Uh, It's almost, if I can put it in a modern day uh, commentary, it's almost as if Isaiah said, Who is going to believe this? Who's going to believe this? Nobody's ever going to believe this. For he, verse number 2, talking about Messiah, shall grow up before him, talking about the Father, God the Father, as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. The root, if you would, uh, speaks of the lowest source as I think about the insignificant beginning of the Lord Jesus Christ as Messiah. He really could not have come from any lower of a beginning. He didn't come from the Roman Empire. He came from the Jews who were an oppressed people. He didn't come from the, the nobility in Israel He came from people who were living in poverty. He didn't come out of the city of Jerusalem. He came out of Nazareth, of all places, and Bethlehem, insignificant towns and villages in the nation of Israel. But notice this. He came as a root out of a dry ground, that lowest source. And you know what else is interesting? The term dry ground here talks about ground that is parched because of drought. 
Now, somebody who knows a little bit about agriculture, tell me, what direction, when a root grows in dry season, what direction does a root go, up or down? Down. It goes down, seeking moisture in dry times and in dry soil. And yet something miraculous happens with this root. This root springs up. Counterintuitive against what we would normally think And it's all a picture of the insignificant beginnings of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we think about his being a root out of a dry ground, it really leads to a second thought. And as we think about Christmas, we marvel not only at its insignificant beginnings, the insignificant beginnings of Christ and his coming, but also what we would call an impossible birth. You don't expect growth to come out of a dry ground. You don't expect new life to grow out of a stump. And yet it's an Old Testament figurative picture of the beginnings of the Lord Jesus Christ and if you would, the impossible birth. And we read about that in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. That a virgin would conceive. The Spirit of God would come upon her. I want to say to skeptics, how else would God bring His Son into the world? He's not going to use the human seed of a fallen father. Really, when you think about how God would become incarnate, the virgin birth is the only logical conclusion. And why a baby? Why a baby instead of a full-grown man? I think that is a question that is encouraging to see answered. And you think about why a baby. It's so his life from beginning All the way through to his death, he could demonstrate that he has fully empathized with all the experience that a man or a woman could have. He's he's had full experience from infancy, childhood, all the way through. I think it's also important, just as in the Old Testament, a lamb that was a potential sacrificial lamb would be set aside for a lengthy period of time so that it could be observed to be without blemish. And so why is it important that Jesus came as a baby so that mankind would have the opportunity to witness over a period of time to witness that he was sinless, that he was blameless, so that at the time of his adulthood, before he went to the cross, he could say to those scrutinizing religious leaders, which of you convinceth me of sin? Proven to be the spotless lamb. Why a baby? So that in the length of his life, he could be proven to be the fulfillment of prophecy, so that he could be proven to be the fulfillment of the law, so that man could look back at the full length of his life and see that he perfectly fulfilled the law and therefore was the only one qualified to die as our substitute sacrifice. I read an interesting quote this week as we think about the insignificant beginnings of the Messiah and we think about his impossible birth. This quote really challenged me. It challenged us to stand in awe of the beauty, get this, of God's mighty weakness versus man's weak might. God takes weak things and does mighty things with them. Man thinks he has mighty things, and yet before God, it's weakness. 
And so God, using, preparing, as the author of Hebrews says, the body for the Lord Jesus Christ, Hebrews chapter number 10. And so we stand in awe at the insignificant beginning. We stand in awe of an impossible birth from a human perspective. But out of those insignificant beginnings and out of the impossible birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, aren't you glad, thirdly, for indescribable blessings? Notice, if you would, Isaiah chapter 9. A familiar passage. We'll hear it read again on Sunday. Isaiah chapter 9. In verse number 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. This speaks of his capability. Aren't you glad Jesus can carry the whole load? (laughs) He doesn't need any help. Notice this. His name shall be called Wonderful. The one who is unspeakably wonderful is the idea. You can't describe him. You know, all of us, I think, long for someone that we can admire, that we can look up to. But mark it down, even the best of humans, that we can look to for example and for guidance and for admiration. Even the best of humans will at some point fail us. Would you agree with that? Okay. But Jesus is wonderful. And will always leave us in marvel. The more that we look at him, the more we behold him, the more we fix our eyes upon him, the more wonderful he becomes. The closer you get to me, the more imperfections you will see. But the closer you get to Jesus, the more beautiful he becomes. Okay. And so he's wonderful. As we think about the indescribable blessings that come from From a human perspective, a a root out of a dry ground, a stem growing out of a stump, an impossible birth, a virgin conceiving, when from a biblical perspective, that's the only logical way that God could incarnate. The seed of a father being that through which the curse of sin is carried could not be a part of the picture. And yet the humanity coming as God specifically prepared it in the womb of Mary, all God and all man, this impossible birth leading to indescribable blessings. He's wonderful. He's counselor. Whatever your need for advice or wisdom or direction may be, Jesus has it. He is the counselor. He is the mighty God. Whatever the need may be, he is able Isn't it amazing how, if we're not careful, we overlook the simplest of truths, and yet those are the truths that will speak peace to our hearts in in our turmoil. And that is this. He is able. He is able. I know he is able. I know my God is able to carry me through. My God is so, so strong, And so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. So the indescribable blessing of the ability of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And then he's referred to as the everlasting father. I believe this is indicative of Christ being the giver of life. Life is in the son, the Lord Jesus Christ. What is amazing about Christ as it relates to Christmas is that light 
in Christ is brought out of darkness. Life is brought out of a desert and death. The lineage of the kings of Judah that apparently had been lost is resurrected out of the stump, if you would, in Jesus Christ. And so he's the everlasting father, the giver of life, the one who gives everlasting life. And yet when we think of the term father, what do we think of? We think of relationship. I think about folks at times of holiday season like this, we're missing loved ones. And yet when you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the everlasting father. He is the one who fills the void of any lost relationship. And then he's the prince of peace. I've been struck by as we've gone to some of Grace's baby appointments. They've asked every time we've been there, they've asked Grace, with me in the room, do you have a a sense of peace? Do you have a sense of peace? They'll ask her that. Do you feel safe at home? I'm sitting right there. I'm her husband. And they're asking her, are you at peace at home? Do you feel safe at home? My mom has an autoimmune disorder that causes her to break out in hives occasionally. And uh, about a year ago, she had a doctor's appointment. When she got up for this doctor's appointment, it was just like a wellness check. She had a hive that had rose up in the morning when she got up on her eye. And she went in and... She caught on to it after about the fourth nurse came in and said, Mrs. Dietrich, do you feel safe at home? Her eye was all swollen shut with this hive. Do you have a sense of peace at home? And my mom was like, sure, I'm fine. And that nurse would leave, and a few minutes later, another one would come in and come at a different angle. Finally, about the fourth one, it, my, it hit my mother what they're doing. And she said, I know exactly what you're doing. She said, everything is just fine at home. My husband is a good man. He would never do this to me. I have hives from an autumn and so on and on. She gave the explanation. But in all seriousness, do you know we live in a world with a lot of people who are longing for peace? And Jesus is the prince of peace. He's the ruler of it, the one who distributes it. So think about this. In our desire to have someone to admire, to look up to, he is the one who's wonderful. In our need and longing for wisdom, he is the one who is our counselor. Whatever our need may be, Whatever the supply may be that is needed, he is the mighty God, the one who is able. Whatever our longings for relationship may be in life, he is the everlasting father. And wherever we need peace, he is the prince of peace. And so out of Christmas, there were insignificant beginnings and an impossible birth, but praise the Lord they have led to indescribable blessings. I saw an article this week that was admonishing parents to watch out for their children at Christmas because there are literally people who are recognizing that Christmas not only causes stress on adults, but stress on kids as well. Disruption in the schedule, too much sugar in the system, disappointment. And they're talking about how parents need to be 
protecting kids from the stress of Christmas. You know, maybe I was a little sarcastic about it. As I read it, I'm like, but do you know kids get stressed because the adults in their lives are stressed many times? And just the importance of peace. And one of the ways we can do this, and one of the ways I've been trying to do this in my own heart and life, is just remembering that the Lord delights in the simple and the little things. He used a Bethlehem and a Nazareth. He used the seed of a woman. He used a little town of Bethlehem. But look at what he has done with it and what he will continue to do with it. I read of a little girl this week who had been overcome by all of the frenzy of Christmas of all of the big people in her life (laughs) and the shopping and the schedules and the stress of all of it, and it had just overstimulated this little girl, six, seven years old. And so her dad on Christmas Eve took her into her bedroom to put her to sleep. And before she went to sleep, they got down by the bed and said prayers. And the little girl was just so overwhelmed with what she had come to associate with Christmas in her mind That as she was praying the model prayer, she got some words confused. And instead of saying, Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, she had gotten such a distorted view of Christmas and the pressure (laughs) and the craziness of it. She said, oh, Lord, forgive us our Christmases as we forgive those who Christmas against us. Grace and I were talking this afternoon about the Christmas hymn, God rest you, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember. Remember. Christ our Savior was born Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. And I will not take the time to do this this evening, but I noticed something about the title of the hymn. And again, a a hymn is not, a carol is not on par with scripture. Don't, Don't get me wrong there, okay? But I had always associated in my mind, God rest you, merry gentlemen. I had always assumed that the word merry was an adjective describing gentlemen. God rest you, comma, merry gentlemen. But that's not where the author put the title. God rest you, merry comma, gentlemen. In other words, the word Mary is modifying the word rest. God rest you, Mary, gentlemen. In other words, it's a joyful rest that the Lord intends for us to have. Why? Because on Christmas Day, Christ was born to save us all from Satan's power, to lift the burden of sin to give us the hope of eternal life and through insignificant beginnings and through an impossible birth to provide for us indescribable blessings. Christmas in Isaiah. Father, thank you for these simple truths from this wonderful Old Testament prophecy. And Lord, as we, in these final few days, seek to further prepare our hearts 
for Christmas on Sunday. I ask you, Lord, that we would do so through the lens of Scripture and through uh, your purposes, your reason. And Lord, I thank you for a, a church and a gathering of believers where that is the heart. And so, Father, protect us. I pray that you would use us to be faithful. And even as we think about the tremendous truths that we have believed and the person of Christ and how he has impacted and changed us and continuing to do so, I pray that we would be determined to, as the Sheelys saying, go tell it on the mountain and to take those good tidings of the gospel and be faithful in sharing those, giving those with those with whom we come in contact. And we ask these things all in Christ's precious name. The one who is wonderful and counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Amen.